and welcome to Fueling the Transition, the podcast series from AFRI Management Consulting, uh, where we deal with all things to do with decarbonization, decentralization, and digitalization of the energy industry. My name is Matt Brown. I'm Vice President in AFRI Management Consulting, working in the energy area predominantly. And uh, I'm conscious that within the context of the energy transition, renewable investment is something that's really, really important and really vital. So I'm very pleased to say that today I have the head of Renewable NI, and that's Stephen Agnew with us, and uh, also a colleague, Andy Kelly, who uh, is a senior principal in our Oxford office. Renewable NI, just to introduce, they are an association representing all aspects of the renewable electricity industry in Northern Ireland. Uh, So hello, Stephen. Pleased you could uh, join us today. Hi, Matt. Hi, Andy. Good to be here. And uh, Andy is responsible, uh, does a number of things, but also has a focus on the uh, Irish market uh, and everything that's going on in, uh, in both the North and the Republic of Ireland. So hi, Andy. Hello, Matt, and hi, Stephen. And I'll get straight into the questions, I think, uh, and starting with you, Stephen, feel free, of course, to say a little bit more about um, Renewable NI and the aims of Renewable NI. But uh, together with that, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about how the energy transition is progressing in Northern Ireland at the moment. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for that. Um, Yes, so Renewable NI, we're the trade association for the renewable electricity industry in, in Northern Ireland. Our members would include kind of developers, planning consultants, grid consultants, you know, kind of across the range, and including large and small-scale renewables, including wind and solar, tidal and storage. So uh, we, we, we see ourselves as the main voice of the industry in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland actually has a good story to tell when it comes to certainly decarbonisation of the power sector. We, at the last 12-month rolling period, um, um, the figures had us at just short of 48% renewable electricity production. I know Ireland likes to boast that it has the largest proportion of onshore wind, but it's, it, in, in respect, some respects it's because ourselves in Scotland get um, kind of brought into a, a UK figure. Um, Scotland's probably further ahead than Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland slightly ahead of the Republic of Ireland. So, But in terms of onshore wind in particular, Northern Ireland is, is I, I'd just say, probably second in, in Europe when you, you look at a regional level. So very good story to tell. Our objective is renewable NI really at the minute is focusing on the next energy strategy for Northern Ireland. So Whilst we, we're at a good starting point, having had a, a policy that, as I say, has brought us to almost half of electricity from renewables. Unfortunately, in the last two years, we've had no new large-scale renewables connect, and that's because we've essentially had a policy vacuum. We're good, due to get a new energy strategy in 2021, and I've been in post just over a year now, and my focus has been, I suppose, on getting a strategy that, that reflects the needs of the industry. How would you put that strategy? What's the what, what's the expectation that you have for um, for renewables in Northern Ireland? We're seeking a target of eighty percent. Uh, the economy minister, who, who's responsible for energy policy, has said 
that the target won't be less than 70%. So I think we our ambition is, is close to the ambition of government at present, and we need to get that firmed up in the strategy to, to come in and to make you know that target a reality to make it achievable um i suppose we need three things we need a, a rig to market investment in the grid and um a facilitative planning regime and in terms of route to market northern ireland is the only part of of the islands of the uk and ireland that doesn't have some form of price balancing mechanism we we, we had what was called the narrow which was essentially the subsidy and I'll say that got us to, to where we are now, uh, close to 48%. Um, but since it, it closed in 2017, there, there's been hard to bring forward projects in Northern Ireland. It's fair to say we we expect to have some merchant projects connect maybe by the end of 2021, but not at the levels we would need to see to reach a 70 or 80% um, ambition by 2030. So the work we did with AFRI, we produced the Power of Renewables, a Route 280 by 30 report, and it really looked at five options um, and came down in favour of either or a, a an all-UK CFD with Northern Ireland having its own pot um, or Northern Ireland having a pot within the, the, the Irish res scheme. Um, our unique position politically allows us to kind of explore both those options um, and, you know, really, uh, if we want to stimulate the industry again in Northern Ireland, the, uh, we, we do need to take one of those two options forward. Early conversations have started on that is my understanding, but um, we're, we're still some way off having having that route to market in place. And no new big projects for the last two years. Uh, but Northern Ireland is obviously part of the UK. Were you not part of the CFD regime that uh, that was introduced in the UK? So legislatively, we were included. So Northern Ireland could join the CFD. Um, uh, very little needs to happen for, for that to happen. Um, but the assessment was made that projects in Northern Ireland might not be competitive and in all UK basis and therefore the the costs would have been spread throughout the whole of the UK including the Northern Ireland consumers but the benefits um, the benefits might not have accrued in Northern Ireland in other words we might not have seen renewable projects um, through engagement with our members um, and indeed it, it's it's detailed in the, the, the power of renewables report Whilst there may be some optimal projects in Northern Ireland that could compete, a, a typical project, let's say, probably wouldn't. So for, for that reason, um, the, the daddy, as it was at the time, the Department for Economy, as it is now, decided um, that, that Northern Ireland wouldn't engage in the CFD, and that, that's been the case. And so, therefore, since the closure of the Narrow in 2017, there's been no state support mechanism for for renewables okay understood so and andy a question to you stephen mentioned there the, the 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 options and the fact that you know given the nature of uh the situation northern ireland is in that um it has a, perhaps a broader range of options here than uh, than one might imagine maybe you could give us a bit of context on the single electricity market, which was, you know, quite an achievement when it was first 
put in place. And we talk a lot about the island of Ireland in this context. Perhaps you could just give us a bit of bit of background on uh, on what we refer to as the SEM, the single electricity market. Yeah, certainly. So it's it is pretty pretty unique in in European uh, global terms, really, as well. Um, you know, we have a very good, well functioning market that operates across the the island of Ireland, and that comprises two jur- different jurisdictions. Uh, so the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, with different governments, different policies, different local planning. Um, different system operators now uh, at some level the s- system operators um, work very closely together clearly but all of the other policy frameworks are set by different bodies and uh, the the market itself though continues to operate uh, on a very well integrated basis uh, we have a single price that gets determined across uh, across the whole of the market, so across both of those regions. And that means that um, whatever is happening in policy terms in the Republic, as far as it affects the electricity market, will have a knock-on impact on Northern Ireland, will have a, an impact on consumers in Northern Ireland and, and uh, the wider industry and renewable developers. And we've really come to a situation now where over the last couple of years, as Stephen has outlined, the lack of visible policy support for renewables in Northern Ireland has placed that in a, a fairly uh, particular situation. Uh, the Republic is moving ahead smoothly with its with its new support scheme. The rest of the United Kingdom has been able to avail of the, the CFD scheme uh, and really across all of those areas though it is it is just the industry in northern ireland that is is, is currently having to operate in absence of anything and, and andy maybe you could just sort of uh, highlight the main differences between the the scheme in the republic of ireland and what's available in in the uk in terms of the cfd uh, or the, let's say the future of uh, support in the republic yeah so uh the republic has actually undergone quite a quite a change in its support scheme recently um it has now introduced a scheme which, along with many other countries in, in Europe, is based on a two-way contract for difference type arrangement. Um, so there is uh, a, a payment to generators uh, up to a fixed strike price in the event that wholesale market prices are, are below that level. If market prices exceed the strike price, then payments are made the other way. Um, so in in concept and in the functionality, it's the new support scheme in, in the Republic is operating actually in a fairly similar way to that of the um, the CFD mechanism in, in the GB market. There are some fairly uh, significant differences in design uh, elements and determination of those strike prices, for example, uh, is, is, is quite different. Who gets awarded these contracts uh, is obviously a function of the the individual regimes but the overall concept is now similar albeit what's happening there as i say in in the south is raising is changing the environment that renewable developers are operating in in northern ireland because it's affecting the wholesale market price but those generators themselves 
don't don't have any kind of support scheme to, to point to. So it'd be difficult to be a, a an investor investing on a merchant basis in in the north while there's a support scheme that's impacting directly on the revenues that you'd be able to achieve, especially at you know at times when uh, when it's windy everywhere, for instance. So the merchant developers always have, face a risk that other policy um, interventions come come to play, which affect the underlying wholesale price. I guess given the nature and the unique nature of the SEM covering the two jurisdictions, that's a particular risk because the policy interventions may well and are happening in a in a different in a different jurisdiction. So there's nothing the Northern Ireland government, for example, can can say to provide any confidence that the the scale of policy interventions in the Republic will be minimized or removed at any certain time. Um, so that's that's uh, that 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 provides that context for the fairly unique position it finds itself in. Very good. And then I think Stephen mentioned uh, a few of the points earlier, but I'm just wondering from your perspective, what do you think is going to be required in order to meet this 80% target that Renewable NI are uh, are keen to see in place? Sure. So we we did quite an extensive piece of work with Stephen and, and, and his colleagues around this, as, as he said, and some of the areas outside of a support scheme that, that, that have been identified that, that are certainly going to need some some evolution to provide the right framework and the right supportive environment for further renewable developments include evolutions in, in the planning regime, for example. Uh, so ensuring that planning guidelines are appropriate, are transparent, clearly understood that the process is one which is um, as efficient as possible. There's certainly some work around that. The scale of the renewable build that's likely to be required to deliver 80% renewable electricity is is pretty significant. So we're probably talking somewhere between two and a half and three gigawatts of new renewable capacity being installed in order to meet those targets. And in the context of the Northern Irish market, or even the market in the island of Ireland, that's a pretty significant amount. And so the the grid connection policies, the ability of all of those projects to securely access the the transmission grid in Northern Ireland is going to be uh, is going to be hugely important. We do expect then some form of of, of support scheme and that's that's obviously actively being looked at as part of the new energy strategy but even alongside that there there will be projects that would like to maybe uh, kind of take advantage of some of the um the direct corporate offtake or power purchase agreement arrangements that we've seen in different places um so facilitating the route to market for those corporate ppas uh, alongside any uh, government-supported policy uh, scheme will also be important. Stephen, what what then? You know, to get into a bit more detail on it, what do you think a new support scheme 
should look like, could look like. What, what's clear is the, the, the auction-based type system, the price balancing type system that's in, in operation in Great Britain or, or and Ireland is is the type of model we want to see. We're, we're fairly relaxed if we if we sort of almost put our, our lump in with the Great Britain model or, or with the Irish. Um, but what it does need to be and what, what, what's borne out with in the AFRI report is it, it does need to be Northern Ireland specific. We do have some competitive disadvantages um, in terms of grid connection costs, levels of dispatch down, um, and in terms of planning timelines. So uh, as I mentioned before, the feeling is while some projects could compete, I learn an all UK or all Ireland basis um, to ensure the type of deployment we need to meet a 70 or 80 percent target, we are going to need a Northern Ireland specific pot. So, you know, for us, that's the primary objective. And as I say, we're, we're, we're relaxed almost, which, you know, whether we go follow an East West model or a North South model. Obviously, the in terms of deliverability, the, the, the advantage of, of doing it with the Great Britain model is that the legislation's already in place. So, that would mean it, it could happen more quickly. Legislation, primary legislation, which would be required, can can sort of take up to two years before you even get into scheme design. So there's a, that particular advantage to to the the CFD model. Uh, to go all island, then you're enhancing the integrity of the single electricity market. Um, you know there there are downsides to having two different support schemes on on the one island as part of the single market so you know I, in a way it's 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 get the the ideal model but it takes longer or or, or to get the less than ideal but quicker yeah and i guess in the context of no new projects uh large scale for the last two years having another gap i don't know how long that would be you know in 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 reality before you had the legislation in place obviously doesn't help the industry does it no, exactly that. And, you know, whilst I say we'll welcome the, the merchant projects that, that hopefully come forward and connect next year, you know, even best case scenario, we're, we're, we're probably looking at the, the middle of the decade before we, we see new build out type of levels we would expect if we if we have a support scheme in place, because, you know, in, in terms of say it was CFD, you're, you're maybe looking at the 2023 auction round. And, you know, if that if that's the case, then, you know, from securing contracts, it can be up to two years before before you see connections. So, um, you know, it could be 24, 25, 2024, 2025 before we see any new renewables policy take take effect. And I would I would say, we you know, given the urgency of climate change, we don't really have that time, uh, the luxury of that time to wait, do we? I'm just wondering, Andy, is there anything you would add on the on the support scheme, what it could look like, any further detail? We were looking at this for Stephen and, and, and his colleagues through a number of different lenses, you know, assessing some of the options uh, and really seeing how they can how they compared across a number of different criteria. So first thing was, well, it's it's, it's really important that whatever scheme is is landed on, you know, is is going to be able to support further renewable build in in northern ireland you know so that's 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 kind of fundamentally important you know the reason that northern ireland hasn't participated in in the gb cfd scheme to date is principally because the all of those factors that structurally disadvantage northern ireland projects 
um, would have meant Northern Ireland consumers paying uh, in order to support renewables that were being developed elsewhere. And so this idea of a, a just transition and a kind of an equitable distribution of capacity build versus payments is, is, is also really important. Those are those are two of the starting points of assessing the, the different options. And then you come into really the key questions of, well, you know, can we can we get this support scheme up and running in order to support projects in the next few years, given the critical nature of having to continue to support the industry to allow for the future, you know, rollout and so on. Um, and given the scale and the size of the Northern Ireland market, how's it done in a cost-effective manner? So, you know, we started to rule out some some options fairly fairly easily. Developing a brand new bespoke kind of scheme from scratch, you know, would wouldn't really be cost effective. Would would take too long. There are good functioning schemes in both the Republic and GB. So, some form of utilising one or other, you know, would be important. But we think in any event whether it was uh, within the GB or the or, or, or the Republic scheme, it really does need a essentially a dedicated Northern Ireland pot within that. So um, you know we can see that that's that's that 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 can practically be achieved within within either mechanism. I think legislatively it may be quicker to do that utilizing the GB scheme. Uh, but there's a bit of a trade-off then between that and the the, the market integrity argument of having the same support scheme uh, in, in operation across the, the oil island market. And so really, I think, you know, that's where we concluded, where the, the, the conversation concluded ought to be, ought to be the areas of focus now, diving into the practicalities and, and the political realities of achieving one or other of those, uh, of those solutions, but in a, something that needs to be done very quickly because there's good projects, good resource availability, you know, excellent developers and, and other industry players who who want to continue this uh, this transition in Northern Ireland and really they're just, just crying out for something to be put in place to allow that to happen. And Andy, I, you know, I, we're recording this late in 2020 in November and I think it would, you know, it's impossible not to uh, just touch upon it briefly, but that's did did we think about the impact of Brexit and you know given there's still uncertainty at this stage, is there anything we can uh, say much about it in terms of the impact of the work here? So you're right that it's impossible to to ignore in any of the aspects actually of the um, of the all island market. Um, I mean, I think what we don't know is quite what the post-Brexit arrangement looks like. And uh, clearly at this stage, we don't know what flavor, if any, of, of any kind of deal will be will be formally agreed. Uh, what we do know is the all-island market functions, you know, pretty well and has been, a, has been a major success operating across those two different jurisdictions for, for many years now. And the desire the appetite the expectation of all uh, stakeholders within that is is that that will continue we will clearly continue to have different governing bodies that are in either region within that all island market but we, certainly we don't expect significant disruption in the 
day-to-day operations and, and kind of fluctuations of the uh, of the market. But uh, you know, it will be important when it comes to the finer details of a support scheme that those design elements are alive to the fact that um, some outcomes of Brexit might 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 need to might lead to slightly different different rules than others. Very good. Thanks for that. Uh, and I think we'll we'll move because uh, we could spend all day talking about Brexit. Probably we'll move swiftly off that topic. And Stephen, I'd like to ask you: There's a you know across uh, GB and Ireland. Well, in the GB, there's a lot of emphasis on offshore wind. In Ireland, we understand that people are are slowly warming uh, to the idea. Is offshore going to play much of a role in Northern Ireland? I think it will, but I think it may be the, the back end of this decade, beginning of the next decade before, again, we see projects connect. There there, there was a, a project explored um, off the, the east coast of Northern Ireland, and it, it was, I think by the end, it sort of went down from 600 to, to, to around 400, 450 megawatts um, when kind of practicalities were explored with other industries, um, particularly the impact on fishing. But, you know, we're, we're currently um, just short of 1.7 gigawatts and that project alone, as say, would have um, added another 25% on, onto that. So the opportunity for offshore is is huge. There, there was one other site previously explored but there were issues about where, where the sea border lies, essentially, and I think the potential of, of having to seek consents in both jurisdictions of Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland um, kind of put that one to bed. But I, I think with the the first light wind project, the, the one off the East Coast, it was, it was Northern Ireland's decision not to join CFD. That um, that ended that, and I think should a similar support scheme come into place, I, I I would hope that a project like that might be revived. We've also uh, two hundred megawatts of tidal licensed again, almost waiting for for a, a route to market. So there, there, there's definitely significant potential there, and then when we get into uh, you know things like floating, then then. You know, really, that could increase further. Um, but as I say, because at the the minute, in in terms of offshore wind, there isn't any project in, in Genesis that I'm aware of. Um, I, I think it'll take the route to market um, to be secured for those projects then to start to be to be explored again. We've also got the issue of of Crown Estate licensing. Um, for offshore and in the last licensing round, Northern Ireland wasn't included because one, it was felt there, there wasn't a demand and two, it was felt um, Northern Ireland wasn't suitable for offshore. But I think I think the latter part can be be negotiated. And uh, the as I say, the first part, hopefully at the other side of the energy strategy, we'll see the support scheme in place that we'll, we'll, see, ty- or we'll see offshore wind projects come forward again. Yeah, so towards the end of the end of the decade, twenty twenty, more towards twenty thirty, uh, is when uh, is when you think we, we may see some offshore. And I, I guess that is in part because of the lead times, uh, as much as anything. Now, going beyond twenty thirty, and uh, you know this seventy eighty percent target for twenty thirty, I'm wondering, Andy, you know, are we going to be heading towards net zero 
uh, for Northern Ireland? And, uh, you know, how does that compare to other countries as well? Yeah, so certainly, you know, in common with the rest of the United Kingdom, in common with the Republic of Ireland, you know, Northern Ireland's very keen. We've got some strong ambitions for overall decarbonisation in, in the wider sector uh, and, and the wider environment. And de- delivering net zero on an economy-wide basis by 2040, 2050, um, you know, the electricity sector is... As, as as almost everywhere else, having to do much of the heavy lifting for that. Uh, and, and that'll continue. You know, it's likely that, that, that we're going to need to see net negative emissions in the power sector, just because the opportunity for decarbonisation in some of the other sectors is uh, is so much more challenging. And, uh, you know, we, we often look at, at heat and transport sectors in, in different European countries, both Northern Ireland and the Republic, you know, also have a, a huge challenge from the agriculture um, industry. Decarbonisation options in the agriculture industry, you know, would appear to be a step more challenging again, even beyond kind of those that face the, the heating and the transportation sector. So in all probability, uh, you know, power is going to need to move beyond net zero in itself. It's going to need to move to, to, to net negative emissions to allow an economy-wide net zero um, to, to, to result. And that's certainly one aspect of that is going to rely heavily on ever-increasing amounts of, of, of renewable capacity in, in the generation mix. And do you, do you see that as well, Stephen? Do you see a, a, a bigger and bigger role for, for renewable electricity here? Yeah, certainly. I mean, when you look at, at heat and transport, um, electrification is, is expected to play a, a significant part of, of those sectors' decarbonization. So, you know, we're, it's almost as if we're, we're not just decarbonizing for our sector, but for, for the others as well. You know, analysis seems to suggest that if we're talking about net zero by 2050, then the power sector needs to be at net zero by 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 twenty forty, um, and you know those types of targets are only going to come forward. They're certainly not going to be pushed back. So, they're at the minute Northern Ireland is is covered by UK wide climate legislation, but there there is a, a a possible private members bill looking at Northern Ireland net zero twenty forty five, um, which I imagine would be incredibly challenging. But again, if that's the case, it, it brings forward our sector decarbonization even even earlier so you know the the, the challenges there and i i suppose the 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 barrier is is to get in the level of deployment and getting the acceptability within communities and um, we can't do the transition quicker than communities will allow or will consent to so you know that that, that will be a challenge I think Northern Ireland, we, we, we've had very high success rates in terms of planning approvals to date. Um, and I think the, uh, I suppose to, to some extent, the community opposition to wind has, has come a bit later, but I think it is starting to mobilise now. So, you know, we as a sector need to look at how we we, we work together with communities and ensure, um, and they used the term earlier, just transition to ensure it is a just transition and we play our part in ensuring that the you know, communities see the benefit of the investment in renewables, which, you know, we, we, we are convinced are, are there and um, can evidence. Um, but, 
it, it, it's not sometimes it's maybe not to touch go back in the Brexit puzzle. We've seen with the Brexit debate, um, you know, story sometimes overtakes truth, and um, we need to make sure that the, the story matches the truth, and and we, we we do tell that story of the benefits of renewables. Yeah, could you see a, a future for Northern Ireland where there'd be net negative from? Um, biomass with carbon capture and storage is 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 that a likelihood or would it be something else? Do you think? I, I think I mean we we actually interestingly have a forestry section sector that's currently a net contributor in terms of greenhouse gases. So uh, we're, we 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 buck the trend in that uh, in a very negative way. Um, in terms of carbon capture and storage. Uh, I think from the assessments I've seen Northern Ireland, the, the type of scale, Northern Ireland isn't really seen as viable for carbon capture and storage. So, you know, it, 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 again, it, it's it's back to the power sector to, to do that. We, we have got a large agriculture se- sector and, and biomass is, is starting to grow um, in, in terms of proportion of uh, renewable generation, um, but I think it's fair to say that it, it it's still in a controversial space at the minute. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how the energy strategy lands um, in terms of biomass, how much it, it seeks to promote it. Okay, and then just in turn, you know, coming back to this question on state support in general, uh, Andy, I don't know. Um, if you could say a few words on on this question of uh, power markets and you know the the equilibrium one can see where because of the because of the cannibalization of revenues that actually it's difficult to push and push and push on targets uh, without mm. state support how do you how do you see that do you imagine there'll be an endless stream of state support so i think there's there's always going to need to be recognition that um, even with a desire to move to move beyond maybe some of the direct subsidies that that that, that we saw earlier in the transition, uh, a desire for more merchant and or direct consumer offtake supported projects to go ahead. All of those merchant type projects will always face a policy risk or a policy related risk on on revenue from a uh, from from further interventions and by their nature then that's you know likely to require some form of mechanism to protect against that to 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 allow this to happen the kind of cfd arrangements that we have um are generally being designed to to provide a facilitating support Ideally, at a level which which maybe doesn't doesn't involve an extra amount of subsidy, but you know ignoring it and and hoping that the the, the kind of merchant developers will always be able to to, to face that risk, even with an ever increasing amount of um, installed capacity, I think is is unlikely. So, given the importance of of policy in its impacts on the market, I think there's always likely to be some form of mechanism, uh, you know, recognizing and and, uh, ensuring against or insulating against that to to some degree. You know, there are real challenges of what electricity systems look like with very high level of of, um, renewables. And, you know, the Irish market is is a great forerunner of this. Uh, You know, Stephen mentioned earlier 
the the kind of levels of renewables that we're seeing in in Northern Ireland and the Republic, and you know those, those exceeds the level that we that are seen in most markets, and that's in a market which is relatively small and relatively uh, less well interconnected with 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 a whole bunch of other markets as well, and so the challenges of managing systems with that level of of intermittent renewables are you know are being seen and are being addressed um in the irish market both in the republic and in northern ireland and that's you know those those uh experiences those challenges are going to continue they're going to become harder but it does mean that the irish market is really having to to pick up and deal with those challenges uh much sooner than many other places and and will bring lessons to be to be taken elsewhere as a result yeah and for my own i suppose for my own thinking i can imagine the the situation would only change in terms of state support perhaps in a world where we've managed to engage the demand uh the customer side fully and really made use of all the flexible demand that's available and i'm thinking here about the future especially with heat and transport which will be fairly large parts of the electricity demand of the future uh, without that it, it does seem it does seem somewhat difficult so then finally coming uh stephen coming back to you what, you know if we wanted to put it succinctly what really needs to happen in northern ireland in the next you know one two three years to give us the best chance of hitting uh, 2030 targets with 70 80 percent yeah so we need the energy to come forward on schedule it's scheduled for november 2021 and, and that can't slip any further and then with with that we'll have the target set um we need the the market mechanism to come in behind that we need great investment to to follow we're currently at 65 percent snsp so 65 percent of renewables can be accommodated at any one time there's plans for that to go up to 75 percent by the end of 2021 it needs to be at 95 percent by by 2030 um and then what we really need is a facilitative planning regime because at the minute we have a department for economy that's pushing for more renewables but a planning system that's that's resisting more renewables so we need all level levels of government to work together um and i think that that joined up governance piece will will be key and that really needs to be resolved over i would say over the next certainly in that time frame within the next year or two excellent well i think there we have it how we can uh, how we can move forward with uh, renewables in northern ireland i would just really like to thank uh, you, Stephen, for, for your time today and uh, for your insights and also Andy. So thank you both very much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And this is fueling the transition from A-Free Management Consulting. Please do subscribe to, through your usual channels. And thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.